Welcome to the Strong for Performance podcast, where we give coaches and consultants practical ideas for taking you to the next level in your business and in your life. I'm your host, Meredith Bell. I interview experts who've walked in your shoes and offer real-world experience that you can apply to your own journey. Welcome to another episode of the Strong for Performance podcast. I'm your host, Meredith Bell, and today I am delighted to have with me Sharon Strauss. Sharon, welcome to my program. Thank you, Meredith. I'm honored to have been asked to join you today, and thank you for this opportunity to speak to your listeners. Well, I'm very excited because Sharon is going to be talking to us about a topic that I know my, interest, my um, audience is interested in, using your own science to make organizations more human, aka human sight. So before we jump into questions, Sharon, I want to introduce you to my audience because your background and what you're doing now is all really impressive and it will set the tone for what we're going to be talking about today. Sharon is the founder of the Human Insight Group, which is an executive coaching and leadership advisory firm, and she serves clients globally. Sharon trademarked her coaching process and calls it Human Sight. She uses insights from the latest neuroscience research to help her clients approach their situations in new ways. And before becoming a coach, Sharon spent 15 years in her own technology consulting practice, providing Fortune 500 companies with technical experts in internet networking and project leadership. Her Fortune 500 list includes Apple Computer, Clorox, and Levi Strauss, among many others. Quite a wonderful list of clients. And prior to this, Sharon spent 10 years delivering technology software to the financial sector. So Sharon, with your wealth of information, and I know your brilliant mind because of our prior conversations, I'm really excited to jump into our topic. Before we do, though, I'd like you to just tell us briefly a little bit about your journey that led up to the work you do today. Thank you, Meredith. You know, I've always had a deep hunger for learning. I grew up in a family where working hard and using intelligence were really valued. My father had his PhD in inorganic chemistry, and he's known today as the father of MOCVD, a chemical process that's used in the development of white LED lighting. So you can imagine how technical my father was. Yes. (laughs) You know, and I've been blessed with a a very rich life filled with a lot of curiosity, long-term quality relationships, and I suppose the drive to help others think differently. The work I do today is really the result of using my kaleidoscope of experiences, beginning after college with 10 years in hardware software sales and product leadership, and almost 25 years as an entrepreneur in the field of talent management and executive coaching. You know, it was during the introduction of the internet that I founded my company, SSA Consulting. And I know that Meredith has already told you what I've done in terms of working with 
Fortune 500 organizations, many of them. You know, my focus was internet engineers and project leaders at that time. And when outsourcing came to America and a lot of our work became, uh, started going to China and India, it, the business really got further away from what my interests are, where my true passion is, which is to support the human effort in business. So I took this opportunity to begin my study of biology, epigenetics, heart math, physiology, psychology, physics, and adding recent research from emotional and social intelligence, in addition to going to coaching school for a year and studying very deeply about the human. I used my love for business and people to create HumanSight, which is a multi-dimensional process of understanding how our bodies, our minds, our hearts work and how we use our own science to its utmost capacity. If we could learn to design organizations around human capacities, we would be able to create sustainable productivity and hopefully profitability. We'll talk more about that later. I learned many years ago that our lives are about the stories we create. It's really a mystery. No one has your exact life but you. Understanding this at a very deep level and focusing on what additional pieces we might want to shift and add is where opportunities lie. The puzzle, as we know, will continue to evolve just as we do, as we allow ourselves to be influenced by our experiences. My perspective is that life is not a series of goals and objectives to be achieved, but actually a path to be walked entirely for its own sake. I believe that personal power is created when we create our story and marry it with wisdom. I love that approach, Sharon, this whole idea of the stories that we bring and that we have and not so much goals, and thinking about how this current pandemic has disrupted our lives so much. Um, what are some of the changes that you see that the pandemic has caused? Great question. The pandemic has provided us with a rare opportunity to take stock of how our own personal narratives impact our values our lifestyles, our work cultures, our feelings about our planet, and so on. It's really a wake-up call to think about ourselves, those who are close to us, those that interest us or not, and how we can gracefully move ahead in a meaningful way. Our planet needs our minds, and our country needs more compassion for our differences. Our world needs new ways to collaborate on a personal level, not through software, but through meaningful conversations. We somewhat need beginner's mindsets. What I mean by that is that we're all open to learning. I believe that the work I'm doing, and certainly the work you're doing, Meredith, will help create a sustainable human future for those who follow in our footsteps. The pace of our world continues to accelerate. 
and the degree to which we depend on others has and will continue to increase because expertise is growing rapidly. We simply know more about everything and the data available about so many things is just never ending. We need to shift our KPIs, perhaps compassion for others or support for others or operating with integrity should be part of those for top performers. This is the time we need to ask ourselves real questions for which we're not sure of the answer. We need to understand our blind spots to perhaps restructure ourselves, listen deeply to others, help us go from judgment to appreciation and feel less need to protect ourselves. Leaders really need to engage with their people more regularly, allow for the pauses in their thoughts. Right now, right now, here and then, we have an opportunity to strengthen the ties between personal well-being, insightful thinking, and organizational outcomes. You know, science continues to show us that organizations are more effective when they put human beings at the center of the universe. <laughs> I know AI and machine learning are being used right now to create products and services but we humans are still driving how it will get applied. And we're doing this using experts in the physical sciences and the social sciences and engineering and psychology to make this happen. So speaking of science, our minds and bodies have biological information that suggests certain cultural environments are more effective for increasing things like work satisfaction, creating deeper insights, growing and sustaining our, our leadership capacities. Given that change is inevitable, we must focus our attention on this work and look forward to what's possible. You know, I believe right now we have an opening to think differently and more importantly, humanly. We do this by moving forward one moment at a time mm -hmm. and re-examining and calibrating how we do things, questioning the language that we use, questioning the nuances of what we say by using our own science intentionally and by further discovering our unique gifts. I sense there's a human revolution upon us we know that other cultures and countries are in the same revolution. They know how to do things that we have yet to explore. Why not share? What's stopping us from studying these disciplines? In the late 70s, I was reading one of Kenichi Omai's book, The Mind of the Strategist, which is about the art of Japanese management and business. Even Krishnamurti, from a very, very early century. His book, Think on These Things, it's on my shelf. So their way of understanding thinking and problem solving. I've been using their perspectives for as long as I can remember. And we need to remember that all generations have faced human challenges and they have gotten through it. We just need to keep remembering this during this time. 
That is so true. I love so many of the points you just made, and especially your focus on science. And so I want to find out from you, what are some of the insights that you've learned from science that can help us navigate through this unique time? Well, I think, I think two main themes would, would hit this audience pretty well. Um, one is learning how to use your own science as a way to guide you to living a more human, meaningful, happier, richer life. And the second, how to build trusting relationships, how to encourage creative thinking, how to have intentional conversations that certainly enhance meaning, performance, and possibility. Well, I love the sound of both of those. So go ahead and talk about them. Okay. Well, you know, it reminds me of a quote I used for the governor's conference a few years ago. It's from Alice in Wonderland, and it goes like this. Who are you, said the caterpillar. I, I hardly know, sir, just at present, Alice replied rather slowly. At least I know who I was when I got up this morning, but I think I must have changed. <laughs> I think Alice got it. Our only constant continues to be change, and the only true thing in our control is our reaction to it. This is why over the past years, I've developed an integrated process called Human Sight. Well, I wanna hear more about that process and I'm sure my listeners do too. What are the parts of it? How does it work? Well, at a high level, Human Sight is a multi-dimensional process of understanding how people interact with their own science. Once understood, we know how to expand our capacities to provide value to ourselves and our businesses. It's really a process of personal integration through science and business purpose. We've studied the latest science findings from biology, character and DNA, cognitive behavior, heart science, language, social science, neuroscience, physiology, and of course, physics, energy, to gain a deeper understanding of who we are as humans and how who we are affects everything we do. Clients come to us to support them with their business issues, of which most seem to be human challenges, both for themselves and their teams. We help them with whatever they're interested in by using the findings from their own human sciences and we provide them with a broader understanding of how their own human characteristics impact the choices and actions they take. Well, let's stop there and go a little bit deeper. What do you mean by that? Okay. Well, what I mean that by understanding our embodied self, we develop an integrated approach to how we think. What is within our awareness or consciousness that motivates us? What are our values? What interests us? How do we make decisions both individually and collectively, whether this be at home or at work? We need to deepen this understanding as we move along in our journey called life. It begins with our stories. Our stories create patterns in our brains and our brains like these patterns. When they're interrupted, 
such as with the current pandemic or when a reorganization happens or when we lose our job or where we're, you know, when we're anxious or we're stressed, it's hard to know how we're going to react. But science teaches us that being calm is the best way to respond to most situations because when we're relaxed and we're open, we make the best decisions and have the most useful outcomes. Mm-hmm. You know, additionally, in our bodies, we have multiple knowledge centers that are all connected to each other. In fact, there are really six brains working all the time. Our minds, our entire bodies, including our hearts, are part of who we are, and they need to be considered as an integral whole. Every thought, every question, and decision we make is part of this integration. And learning how to tap into these domains can really create more alignment by helping us focus on what's important. Tapping in can create sustainable behavior, thus helping us function more often at our optimal levels. So I think that's a really important point, this idea of tapping in to create sustainable behaviors, but how do you create these kinds of behaviors? Good question, good question. So today is a wonderful time to pay attention to new things as they arise. Perhaps begin by asking different questions of yourself. Having an understanding of your own science gives you access to yourself in new ways. More specifically, A break in our normal routines offers an opportunity for us to look at our lives and ask, what is working for us? What is not? What do I want to continue learning and experience? And is there something else that's going to provide me with more value, more time, more of anything that matters to us? The same is the case in our professional lives. This is a time for reflection. We can redesign our lives and decide how we want to deepen and balance our capacities as leaders. By understanding a bit about how our brains actually work, we can create more insights, take complex situation and make situations and make them manageable, help make better choices, and ultimately create an environment of trust within not only ourselves, but others. All right. Well, you've brought up some important points there. Let's kind of go into those because many of us have heard about the idea there's a, that there's a lot of importance being placed on self-awareness and emotional regulation. Um, but how does all this work together? And why do we keep hearing about building trust being so important today? I agree with it, but I'm, I'm curious about your perspective. All great questions. So let's break it up into three areas. The first one being, what is self-awareness and emotional regulation? And why are these important? Uh, I think the second might be, what is the science behind our brains and bodies? Of course, a, a very abbreviated version. And I think the third one has to do with trust and team interaction and the interconnectedness of our bodies, minds, hearts, breath, energy. How does that sound? 
That sounds great. So go ahead with that first one around self-awareness. So self-awareness, everybody talks about today, but it is truly a powerful and critical skill for all leaders. It's really a precursor to creating change. And it's the piece that will prepare us for building new mindsets for ourselves, our families, our teams, anyone we interact with. Being able to observe ourself without judgment is a mature developmental level that enables us to have an inner observer that observes what is happening right here and now. What are our thoughts, our feelings, our bodily sensations at this given moment? While our inner observer is always available, it takes a tremendous amount of skill and discipline to tap into it because there's always so much going on pulling our attention. You're on the phone. (laughs) So true. Well, like you're on the phone, there's an intense negotiation that you're involved in and your colleague walks in. And of course they need your immediate attention. We've all experienced something like that, right? Mm -hmm. When this happens, we miss the signals that can make or break an interaction or outcome that we had in mind with the person who's on the phone. Mm -hmm. But if we learn to be self-aware, right? If we learn to be self-aware, we have less possibility of this breakage. So learning to self-observe, becoming self-aware, and then the ability to self-regulate can really be the opening to seeing our world in new ways. When we observe ourselves and do our focused work, we're able to change our behavior. It's like having a new set of eyes and our own new playground. An example of this might be one of my clients has been highly anxious speaking to teams. So we had our weekly sessions. I provided her with weekly practices. And that was able, through practice, by using those practices regularly, to help her get better ideas from her group. She basically became less anxious. She's now having fewer yet more intentional meetings. Mm. You know, because she's learned to relax and be open, her self-confidence has improved exponentially. Being self-aware is both emotional and physical. Mm -hmm. The more ways we're aware, the more possibilities of choice we have. One way to sense your physical awareness is by breathing. When we feel the physical center, put your hand on your, on your stomach, the physical center of where you're breathing, we know that we're a part of the bigger universe, a bigger world. This is also the place in our bodies where we're able to center ourselves. Some people say, when something isn't to our liking, take a deep breath. We've all heard this. Mm-hmm. This is exactly where this comes from, Meredith. Oh, okay. Yeah, doing the following breath practice will help us deepen your sense of physical awareness. And as you breathe, you're bringing in air which oxygenates our cells, which naturally helps us create more energy. Research shows that improving our physical posture, sitting up straight, will increase the amount of oxygen sent to our brains. And the more you practice, coupled with learning new things, 
your brain will strengthen and you will build many more neural connections and create new patterns. And when we add and we start adding breathing into our mix, we're really opening the gateway to our bodies. So I'm gonna start with just a very short practice, it's very simple practice, bringing your attention to your breath. Exhale slowly, spiraling down. And you recommend exhaling through your mouth? Actually, through our mouth and our nose. Mm, both, okay. Inhale slowly, spiraling upwards. Hold it. Feel the sensations that arise. Do this three times when you're by yourself and ask yourself these three questions. What am I feeling in my body? Name those feelings. What new energy do I feel? How does it show up? How do I harness this energy found to be present in my life the way I want it to be? I hope you're all a little bit more relaxed now. Mm -hmm, I am. <laughs> Feels good. <laughs> I just have to make sure I don't breathe too much or else I get a little lightheaded. Um, you might have the concept of neuroplasticity in your mind. A lot of people are, are talking about it today. And it means that our brains have the capacity to undergo physiological changes if we are healthy. Our brains literally change function and structure throughout our entire lives. They're continuing to create new maps that change the actual chemical and physical connections in our brains. And these changes become experiences, then habits, then behaviors, and patterns over time they actually embed those patterns in our brain. For example, while listening to this podcast, you've already created hundreds of new brain connections if you've learned new things listening to this. I certainly hope so. Moreover, when a leader is self-aware, they give others a feeling of safety, even in uncertain circumstances. They know their triggers. They're able to anticipate hot buttons of those they are conversing with. A self-aware leader is able to modulate his or her behavior to reduce fear and alleviate stress. They suspend judgment. Instead, they cultivate curiosity. They avoid the blame game. They're able to manage their own feelings, which makes it easier to listen to others more deeply by setting their own needs aside. Our job as leaders is to encourage those around us to be heard, to be calm, to be focused, and take on some risk and know that they're being held in a space where they cannot fail. This is the only way to create and encourage innovative thinking. You know, research says when people feel that they're in control of their outcomes, they're better performers. This is an oversimplified definition for this podcast, 
But this is what creates a workplace in which personal motivation, engagement, and creativity flourish. Why, for, for what reason, would anyone compromise psychological safety when we can learn how to manage it? Oh, I love the things you're saying about what strong, emotionally healthy leaders bring to the table and what they do to help build these strong teams and high performance. I'm intrigued with what you're talking about around the brain. So tell us more about our brains. Well, our brains are kind of like a master regulator. We know now that the flow of thoughts actually sculpts the brain. A few fun facts. Our human body has about a trillion cells. Our brains alone have about Oh, 100 billion neurons mm. that run our nervous system. Isn't that amazing? Yes. It's pretty complex. For today, let's focus on our prefrontal cortex, our executive brain, our limbic system, and how the science of trust works to our advantage. So how would we start? So our executive brain wasn't really understood at this level until the 1990s. Mm -hmm. It's the youngest part of the brain and it's hardwired for coordinating all other parts of the brain. It's located behind the, the forehead in the frontal lobe and it's responsible for many high level thinking skills like analytic processing, decision making, as well as envisioning the future. The PFC as it's called is also in charge of helping with behavior modification. And it's known only to be involved in emotional responses, but also to have numerous connections with other parts of the brain that are responsible for controlling dopamine and norepinephrine and serotonin, three neurotransmitters that are important in mood regulation. Our limbic system includes the little almond-shaped piece called the amygdala. This is the signaling center. It stores the history of our emotional experiences. It's mainly known for fear or threat, um, fight or flight, as we all know. And it signals positive emotions, such as rewards. I find this kind of interesting that it does both. It is. Yeah, this kind of thing happens when someone says thank you or smiles at you. Why is this so important? Well, it's responsible for our moods, our memory, our motivation, and of course, relationships. According to research, we're capable of something called limbic resonance. Imagine being with your family or working on a project with your team. Limbic resonance is a symphony of mutual exchange and what I call internal adaptation, whereby people come in tune with each other. You know this feeling when everyone begins to agree with each other. So is that a, um, a good thing when they're agreeing with each other? This whole thing of trust is so interesting as a part of that. You know, it's really 
what we need to understand so that organizations will thrive. This is the way we put learning teams together throughout organizations. Today, none of our work is done in a vacuum. Mm -hmm. I would argue that about 92% of successful work projects are less about who owns them and more about how the different people who need to be interacting actually go and interact. This is the result of learning how to trust the team members, which encourages their best effort in innovative thinking. When trust exists, people are happier. Think about it, they're more engaged. They work harder, they respect each other. They look within themselves for bias and so on. Ultimately, they're stronger performers because of this connection to their team. And this is what I call social capital. Mm. And I call working this way, the science of trust. So let's explore trust, number three, for a moment. How does the science of trust work to our advantage? So we know trust lives here in the prefrontal cortex. We know it's mathematical. It gives us definition and saves data for us. It's kind of like an emotional bank that keeps the balance between oxytocin mm. and cortisol. You know about that, Meredith, right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. It's the energetic fields that really connect us. When we trust each other, when we feel fairness and cooperation, when we experience belonging, we are activating the good hormone, oxytocin. Mm the bonding hormone. Mm -hmm. When we feel excluded in those team meetings, the opposite occurs. We activate the hormone cortisol and our reactive nervous system takes over. Fear rises and we shut down. Mm -hmm. So trust is really the glue that holds teams together in the face of challenges. It helps groups feel inclusive, respected, and filled with deep interaction. In an environment of trust, people are encouraged to reveal more, to tell the truth and to speak authentically. This is the best environment for insights. And when you think about it, creative problem solving. Mm -hmm. So when oxytocin is activated, social signals are modulated. Think of it that way. We know from psychologists, many psychologists, um, Naomi Eisenberg is an example, her work in neuroscience, that when people are working together and they feel excluded, the actual neural region of the brain lights up hmm. as if they were feeling anger or judgment. This shows we are activating cortisol in our nervous system. In other words, being provoked and being excluded is the same sort of reaction in the brain that actual physical pain might cause. Hmm. Fascinating. I'm going to say that again, Meredith. I'll say that again yeah. to your audience. In other words, being excluded provokes the same sort of reaction in the brain that actual physical pain might cause. Hmm. Hard to imagine. 
It is. So the next time you're on a digital call or eventually back in the office, observe how communication is experienced and embodied or how it is not occurring. Are people waiting their turn to speak? What posture do most people have? Are the questions posed as possibilities or goals to be met? When people ask questions, what happens if their answers aren't visible? Is there a mutual exchange or an evaluation of what should be? Mm. It's kind of like, is there a symphony being played or individual instruments? There's no question that some meetings are about tactics and planning. Others can be about ideating and creating what's possible. Every iteration is an exploration. Wouldn't that be motivating? Doesn't it also encourage insights through group interactive interaction mm -hmm. that are, you know, based on trust? We love to feel good, don't we? Absolutely. <laughs> so I'm going to give you another fun fact. In terms of feeling good or bonding together, we've learned just recently that the heart sends 50 times more nerves to the brain than the brain to the heart. So what does that mean? We know that this gives us access to the feelings we get when we're in relationships. Mm. This is also where we access our intuition. So I believe that culture is systemic. It begins with beliefs, values, and trust. Those then create behavior. Results encourage rituals and so on. Think of a symphony orchestra. The strings play, the horns and the drums and other instruments merge in based on the shared music they're playing. The conductor's job is to make all the sounds as different as they come, come together and sound symphonic. Mm -hmm. This is no different than the experience of great leadership. We became personal leaders before we led teams. A lot of us understand that very clearly. The skills that support the process of building bridges of inclusion and belonging. That reminds me of what Judith Glazer, a cultural anthropologist and my teacher mentor used to say. To get to the next level of greatness depends on the quality of the culture, which depends on the quality of the relationship, which depends on the quality of the conversation. Mm -hmm. Everything happens through conversations and this is what's rooted in science. Making what's invisible visible, bringing attention to the unseen dynamics and patterns in conversations and engaging in dialogue to shift those patterns. Co-regulating, partnering to down-regulate cortisol and fear and up-regulate oxytocin and trust. Mm -hmm. This skill is what builds a foundation of co-creation for our new reality. Knowing that we all want to belong, we ask ourselves, what do I feel 
or when, when do I feel that I belong? When do I feel excluded? Once you know these feelings, give words to your experience. This adds to the physical patterning within your brain. This is where we can move from I-centric to we-centric relationships and conversations. We can use words and phrases that increase our oxytocin, those that encourage creating new ideas together. Use phrases that help other people feel valued and accepted that will reduce their doubt, such as, I'd like to learn more about that. Be open in building new meaning into all of our conversations. Wouldn't it be great to encourage a culture of belonging in all phases of our lives? Absolutely. I can't imagine anyone listening to this and not answering a resounding yes to that question because we all have that need to belong. And I think your points about inclusion and exclusion are really important. There's so many points that you brought up today, Sharon, that um, I'm sure people would love to be able to delve into more deeply because you have such a wealth of knowledge on these topics because you've studied them for so long, you've helped clients implement them. So for those who would like to learn more about you and your work, how can they best connect with you? Well, first, I want to say this has been a pleasure. Uh, and I encourage your audience to reach out to me personally at 415-634-7217. That's 415-634-7217. You can also schedule time with me via my website, humaninsightgroup.com. And if you reach out to me, I have a few things that I'm going to send you. I just finished my 2020 reading list, um, and I've recently written an article about humanizing our conversations, and there may be even another surprise in that, so feel free not to worry. I do not do automated sendouts or newsletters. Please know that in advance. And of course, you can also reach me through my email, clients at humaninsightgroup.com. That's clients at humaninsightgroup.com. You know, sometimes just short consultations can encourage valuable insights. Absolutely. And thank you so much for sharing that um, information for how people can reach you. And on the show notes page of your interview, when we publish it, Sharon, we'll certainly be including your website. We don't put phone numbers on our website, but people can rewind and catch the number that you just shared with them. And I can guarantee my listeners that you will be glad to reach out to Sharon and get these additional resources that she just mentioned because she has so much wisdom that uh, you can tap into, and she's such a generous person. So thank you so much, Sharon, for joining me today and for all of the ideas that you shared. I know I personally benefited from and learned a lot from what you shared today, and I know my listeners have too. So thank you. It's been a pleasure to share my thoughts with you and your audience. Thank you again, Meredith.
Thanks for tuning in to the Strong for Performance podcast. Now head over to growstrongleaders.com to learn how our tools can increase your impact with clients and expand your business. And while you're there, grab our free ebook, The Five Secrets to Getting Better at Anything. Until next time, I'm Meredith Bell. Make it a great day.